The Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey and helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment. Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Brew Pub. I'm your host, Michael Camp, and today we are going to talk about something very critical, the Israeli-Hamas uh, war. And uh, I have a special guest that's going to help us do that today, um, Kathy Shahada. She is a, a writer, editor, and researcher at the If Americans Knew, and she's a blogger at Pathos. And very interesting she is a Christian who has deconstructed from conservative Christianity and uh, now is um, for, for years have been, has been married to a Gazan uh, Muslim and uh, who still has family in Gaza. So she's going to give us a very oh, difficult perspective, really. But um, Kathy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, I've really enjoyed your blogs. And we've gotten to know each other recently in the last couple of weeks because of what's going on in Israel. And uh, I want to set this up by saying that both of us really are having have empathy for everyone who's suffering in Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, the Israelis who uh, who were attacked by Hamas, we you know, that attack was just uh, horrendous and we obviously denounce it and uh, really have empathy for the families who have lost loved ones in Israel or have um, loved ones who are held hostage. And, but today we're going to talk about um, your experience because of your personal connection to Gaza and uh, all the things that you've known through the years about how <clears throat> Gazans have suffered and are particularly suffering today. So um, we have a list of questions uh, we've got lined up that we'll get to. But before we get into those questions, I uh, wanted to ask you, how are how are things going? This must be really hard for you and your husband to, to deal with it. What, what's going on in your and in your thoughts? Well, it's really been excruciating for us and we're perfectly safe here. So I, I can't even begin to imagine what our family and what all Gazans are going through right now, knowing that Israel keeps saying, um, we're stepping up our, our attacks now, we're stepping up our airstrikes, and houses are just falling down everywhere in apartment buildings. Um, I've been in touch with my niece, Horia, in, in Gaza. She and her family live in a refugee camp there. And we've been talking for a couple of years, um, thanks to Google Translate. But she's... Um, 
She is. Uh, you haven't learned. You, you haven't learned Arabic yet, huh? <laughs> I haven't learned enough. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it, but I haven't learned right. enough. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so she is. Uh, she's been telling me what's going on. She's. She is a master's degree candidate, almost finished with her degree, and then this thing started. Um, wow. So she's in limbo right now, but. Um, I actually just got a message from her a couple of minutes ago. Um, oh, have, really? Wow. Yeah. I, we didn't hear from them for nine days. Wow, that must have been The blackout hard. started. And right. then apparently uh, there are moments when the internet kicks in a little bit. And so every time she gets a chance, she just says, we're still here. We're okay. It's awful. Um in my in my uh, Pathios blog, I have shared some of her uh, comments. But what right. she says today, I, I said to her last night, and she just now got it. I said, I pray angels shelter your home and all this craziness ends very soon. You'll be able to go outside and look at the sky without planes. We will look at the same sky and feel each other's hearts beating. And she just said, your words made me feel comfortable. And as I read the words, I smiled. Thank you for always being by my side. We will look at the same sky and our hearts will beat together. I love you so much. So, wow. so I know she's alive and her um, eight brothers and sisters, wow. younger brothers and sisters and her mom and dad, they're all huddled together in one room, basically in the dark, basically. Are they, are they in, uh, well, what part of Gaza are they in? They're in a camp called Nus Nusirat refugee camp, which is in the South. Okay. Uh, which doesn't mean it's safe. <laughs> they had shrapnel come through their roof. Oh, okay. Ago, right. um, from a neighbor's house that was blown, blown up. Oh so um, there is no safe place in Gaza right now, mm -hmm. basically. Um, and they don't know if they're going to make it through each day and each night. Oh, man. Yeah, it must be terrible. I can't even imagine. Right. We can't. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, let's before we get into some of the bulk of the questions, why don't we learn, learn a little bit more about your story and background um, you know, your religious background and how did you come to be an advocate for, for Palestinians? Obviously you're married to one, but, <laughs> but tell us in your own words what, what that's about. Yeah. So this was just like the randomest thing that, that Ziad and I met 40 years ago now, just at a random party. And we kind of stayed in touch for a while, visited each other a little bit and, and we just had this, this great connection. Um, so we were married in 1985. And um, he was a very, I'm going to call him an evangelical Muslim because he was raised. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was raised in Saudi Arabia with one of the most um, strict sects of, of uh, Sunni Islam. Um, he left Gaza when he was seven years old after the 1967 war and his family uh, 
found a place in uh, Saudi Arabia. So okay. he was raised under that that kind of religious um, upbringing. I was raised as an evangelical. And um, I mean, we we fought and argued and and reasoned and nothing worked for years and years. Um, so about 10 years ago now, one day, I just had this, he, he said to me, we're sitting at IHOP, which we never go to. But anyway, we're sitting <laughs> at IHOP. And he right. says to me, Kathy, we've been married for so like 28 years now or whatever it was. Why haven't I convinced you to be a Muslim yet? And uh -huh. I said, because Christianity is not just a religion. It's part of my identity. It's part of my core. Right. And I said, so why haven't I convinced you to be a Christian? And he said, same, same reason. Right, same reason. <laughs> and like this light bulb went on right. that, you know, we're, we're all just trying to um, worship God in the way that we were taught to worship God. Right. And God has to be pleased with that. Right. So. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a big breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, close to the time that that I walked away from evangelicalism. I was um, severely burned by my evangelical um, community and just walked away. And then everything was up for grabs at that point. And I questioned everything. You know, I went through mm -hmm. the whole steps of grief and all those things. I never walked away from Jesus. I never right. walked away from identifying as a Christian um, because I just don't think that's even possible. So I got into, uh, started reading Richard Rohr, Brian McLaren, some sure. of those guys that we were told never to. Yeah, right. About. Don't read those guys. They're dangerous. Bart, Bart Ehrman. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, so, and I mean, I was off to the races. There was no going back. Yeah. Um, so our kids really started advocacy for Palestine before I did. Um, when they were in college, they just they got did. involved, and mm -hmm. and then, um, then I started to. I could tell the story, but it's it would just take away from time to talk about other important things. So yeah, um, right. That's how then, you got into it, right? Yeah, and then my husband, he realized that. Um, he had a place of, of, um, of, um, what do you call that? <sighs> privilege. Mm -hmm. He had a place of privilege as a Palestinian with an American passport. And he decided he needed to do something, um, useful. So, um, he started to work with me and, uh, it's, it's really painful work for him because everything is flashbacks and oh, right. and painful memories. But um, so, yeah, he's been involved. Okay. Since. I want to ask you a little bit more about, you know, your experience in Gaza, uh, yourself visiting, et cetera. But before we get to that, um, how, once you started deconstructing mm -hmm. conservative Christianity, evangelicalism, how did things change between the two of you? you uh, did that make any impact? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, and he was going through a similar um, kind of deconstruction of his 
faith at the same time. Okay. And so we both reached this point um, pretty close together in time uh, where we said, there, there, uh, there's no distinction and God must look on us and love all of us. And there's, there's no way that that person is going to go to hell because they were born in that country and right. their, you know, that right. kind of thing. Yeah. So we both right. came to that realization. Nice. We have nothing to argue about anymore. I know. Once you do get <laughs> that gap. Yeah, yeah. You're like, okay. I mean, so, it's, yeah. it's what, what I call universal love. It's like, okay, God has universal love for everyone. Yeah. And it's the religious structures and, and the, the structure of, of modern Christianity that, or mo- Islam that, separates Mm -hmm. people but it's not the real essence of the love of god yeah and yeah go go ahead i was going to say um as i was deconstructing there were people that would pressure me and say yeah but the bible says yes right and i wrote a lot i've written a lot on my uh patheos blog responding to that um Right. So, no, we all get that. Right. The Bible yeah. says, and you have to kind of deconstruct the Bible and figure out <laughs> mm-hmm. what, 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 how to interpret it and use it yeah, in a yeah. new way. So, um, so let's go. Let's go back to uh, Gaza. How much time have you spent in Gaza? And have you been to the West Bank? And and uh, you said you spent some time in Saudi Arabia. Tell us about all those experiences. Yeah. So right after we were married. Um, Ziad took me to live in Saudi Arabia, which sounds horrific, and I thought it was going to be horrific, but it was really an amazing experience. We spent five years there um, taking care of his mom, who had been recently um, separated from her husband, and she really had no one. So so we were there for five years. I worked at the American school, so um, I had a, a great job to keep me you know, balanced and things like that. Um, then we came back um, to the States. Did, was it all full five years or did you come back and forth any? Oh, yeah. I, I came back um, every summer for a couple of weeks. Yeah, right. That, help, right. that helps with yeah. the culture shock. <laughs> yeah. And it's also good to get away from Saudi Arabia in the summer. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. Well, that helps too. Right. Toasty. Right. So, yeah. And then we came back to the States for nine years. We had four kids and um, decided to go back to spend some time with his parents as they were getting older so they could get to know their grandchildren. So we went back in uh, 2000. Where was that? To to Saudi Arabia Mm -hmm. and uh, spent another five years there. So um, I've been to, yeah, Hmm. so I've lived in Saudi Arabia for 10 years and I lived really with the culture for most of that time, you know, not just in a little Western bubble. Um, And then we have visited uh, Palestine, I want to say four times, Uh, been to the West Bank, um, been to Jerusalem, been in Israel, and, uh, but it's pretty much impossible to get into Gaza. You had never been to Gaza? No. You just can't get in? Even if, even if he has relatives there, he can't get in. Um, he could probably get in, but they might not let him out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the risk. It's crazy. So, right. So, but but did, did he have relative, relatives in the West Bank? 
Yes, we have some relatives in the West Bank. Okay, too. so you visited them too, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, one of the things I relate with your story is that um, I lived in Africa for seven years in Muslim uh, communities, in Muslim countries, mm -hmm. or, or part of a country that was Muslim. So I understand exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a, it sounds like you had the same experience where you become bicultural, you understand both cultures, and you accept it. And sometimes, usually there's a culture shock that goes on in the beginning. But then if you stick with it, you're like, oh, okay, now I get it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've been in situations where I've actually remember flying from Kenya to Somalia back in the eighties, I'm dating myself <laughs> <laughs> and going back to a 99% Muslim country where I was working as in an aid agency and, and thinking to myself, Oh, it's going to be good to get back home. And I was going from Kenya on a R and R trip uh -huh. back to Somalia to go back to work, not, you know, not going back to the States. And mm -hmm. I thought all of a sudden it struck me, wow, I am, I am bicultural now. That's yep. Crazy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and now people yep. think that's crazy because of what happened in Somalia in the years afterward that, but this was before the civil war and it was very stable. So you, you uh, realize when you, when you visit countries like that, that there's people who aren't Western and they're perfectly fine. Oh, you yeah. don't, you know, we don't have to go convert them to our religion no. and our culture in right. order for them to be human beings. No, they're, and I mean, they were delightful people, actually. I've met some really, I, I even now, today I'm, I'm friends with some of them that, that I'm still in mm -hmm. contact with either here in the States or in Canada. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's also talk about one of the things that's on your heart is, um, you know, we see the, the conflict that's going on now. It's, it's, it's horrendous. And, and the uh, the attack by Hamas, et cetera, um, and the, and the the attack really can't be defended. It, but it does need to be understood. It needs to be explained. You know, need, we need to get the context. And as you say in one of your blog posts, context is king. <laughs> mm. I used to use that term too. Um, it you know this was not random, right? This was you right. know, not in a vacuum. There was things going on. So. What what context do you think most people are missing when we get news about the Israel-Hamas war? Yeah, well, I mean, to start out, I don't know how many people around us know about the, the background to the creation of the state of Israel. Um, I mean, the, the groundwork was laid in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, and things were happening um, on the ground in, in that was then mandatory Palestine um, to prepare the way for a Jewish state to be created. And the Palestinians knew that was, was going on. They weren't stupid. Um, and they resisted that, but there was nothing they could do because the, the British um, occupiers were systematically taking um, any weapons that any Palestinian had. If a Palestinian had a pistol or a, a rifle or anything, it was confiscated by the British and given to the, um, the Jewish people that were there so they could defend themselves down the road. Um, not a lot of people know about that. So in 1948, oh. um, after the UN suggested 
a partition plan and the, the, the Palestinians said, no, we're not going to partition our country and give 40% uh, of it away or something like that. No, we're not going to do that. Um, the pre-Israel uh, government or whatever it's called said, oh, we like, we like that plan. That sounds like a good plan. So when the British left on May 14th, 1948, uh, the Jewish people there declared the state of Israel. And the Palestinians said, no, you can't do that. This is our land. Mm -hmm. Well, a war commenced. Um, everybody, I mean, my Christian friends say, God miraculously enabled the Jews right. to conquer right. all of those hordes of, of Arab yeah. fighters. There mm -hmm. weren't hordes of Arab fighters. There were some from several countries. They were not organized. They were not well equipped. Um, and, um, and, you know, the, the pre-Israel folks had been actually, I don't know how they managed this, but they smuggled airplanes from World War II, like from Poland, I think. They mm -hmm. smuggled warplanes into Palestine in, in order to prepare for a war. They had underground um, ammunition factories, things like that. The, the numbers are, are staggering. Um, so they were ready for war. The Palestinians were not ready for war. So they got creamed and they lost 78% of their land. Mm -hmm. At wow. the same time, um, oh, over 500 villages, uh, Palestinian villages were depopulated. Uh, the people were sent into exile with only the clothes on their backs. And they, you know, some of them went to Jordan, some went to um, uh, parts of the West Bank. A lot of them went to Gaza. Our, most of our family went to Gaza. Um, the, the family that lives in Gaza, our family, has um, a grandma who is 96 or maybe oh, wow. seven years old right now. He was now. around then. Okay. He was there. And yeah. I'll just give you a... a piece of her story um she she was from one of the wealthy wealthier families in the village mm -hmm. and they just had to leave with nothing um she has had a um identical twin sister and her twin sister went to the west bank with her husband and our grandma went to gaza with her husband okay they lived like i don't 10 miles apart or something for the rest of their lives. And they never saw each other in person again. Really? The, yes. And wow. the other, her, her twin died a few years ago. They never saw each other again. Another of, of her sisters um, was carrying a toddler just a, a little bit ahead of them. And as they were fleeing with nothing, uh, Israel dropped a barrel bomb and completely annihilated her sister and the baby. Oh, my gosh. Now, what year was this then? 1948. 48. Okay. And when you say they, the, the two sisters didn't see each other, where, where did you say they were? In the West Bank, 10 miles um, apart? One of them went to the West Bank, and the other one is in Gaza. Well, that's more than 10 miles, though, isn't it? Yes. Or maybe it's not. It might be like 
I don't know, 30 or 40 miles. Nevertheless, right, right. it's yeah, yeah, it's right. Close they were close. You should be able to very close weekend. Yeah, right. And the, and so because, but there wasn't there was there a blockade back? There wasn't a blockade back then. But I mean, uh, it has been difficult for many years for people to leave Gaza, mm -hmm. especially if they want to come back again, and for people to leave other parts of Palestine and go into Gaza. Right. If they want to come back. Um, right. There's a lot of restrictions there. There always has been a lot of restrictions on travel over the border. I see. I see. Right. The military oh. basically restricts travel. Yeah. Which is also going on in the West Bank now. Right. Now, what's going on in Gaza is much, much worse. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's 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 fascinating. So um, you, you, that, your grandmother, that grandmother has all this firsthand witness of the yeah. history of it. So she must have told a lot of stories, I imagine. Well, she has told some stories, I think. Um, I mean, I've asked her through Horia. I've asked her questions, asked her to tell more stories. And she loves to talk about their village and how yeah. beautiful it was. But she hates to talk about anything right. after that. So, right. you know, and... This just comes to my mind right now, if I can just throw this in. Um, when the Israelis say that this is their land because they're mm -hmm. Jewish, mm -hmm. it's very likely that my husband's ancestors were Jewish. And then when Christianity came along, they converted and became Christian. And then when mm -hmm. Islam came along, they converted and became Muslim. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's as much Jewishness in his background, probably, if not more than some of these um, folks that are coming from Eastern Europe and Western Europe and America and saying, right. this is our land because 3000 years ago, God gave it to us. Right. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, part of that is what we call Christian Zionism. But yeah. uh, well, <laughs> I want to ask that a little bit later, but let's yeah. put that to the side. That's mm -hmm. a really important point, though. Um, so uh, right now, what what surprised me, I, I, I kind of always knew that there were there was a Palestinian struggle. Uh, and I once worked at World Vision years ago, and I kind of had the, the standard view of Israel, you know, growing up, not growing up, but in my formative years, going to evangelical churches, particularly one that was very pro-Israel. Mm -hmm. And then this woman said, hey, you know what? I lived in Palestine for a couple of years. You're not hearing the whole story. And, you know, that was 20 years ago or something. And she was mm -hmm. saying, oh, I started to look at some of those things. But I never really got in deep and understood it until, you know, basically started in the last, literally in the last two weeks, really started mm. to dig into some of th these things yeah and 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 learning things like oh i didn't know that i didn't know that well you know and it just goes on and on and they're not reported very well in certain in mainstream media mm -hmm. uh and they're 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 kind of obscured and there is a um you know a real a real drive to to support everything that israel does because you know after all it's it's fair. It seems fair that they should have their own state, which you know it, mm -hmm. it is because they you know were oppressed so badly in World War II. But there's another side of the story, and so that's really what we're talking about today. And what I what 
some people, what people are calling the system that we see Israel doing to Palestinians is apartheid. It's it's mm-hmm. like the apartheid in South Africa, but it's not exactly like that, but it is apartheid. Tell us about what how that works. Yeah. Um, so Amnesty International, um, uh, Human Rights Watch, several um, organizations, human rights organizations in... Um, in Israel have called it apartheid. And um, they didn't just make that up. They, they put years of study, years of research, documentation into, uh, into that decision. And it's, so it's not like an anti-Semitic diss or anything like that. It actually, according to the, the uh, definition of apartheid, if, is it the Geneva Conventions? This is apartheid. This is literally apartheid according to the rules. And a number of uh, prominent people from South Africa have visited and said, this is worse than we've ever had. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's apartheid. And Israel and its supporters will say things like, oh, it's anti-Semitic to say that. You can't say that. Right. And, and we come back and say, can you prove anything in this report to be false? It's, mm-hmm. uh, Amnesty came out with a 280-page Yes, I saw that. Report. Right. Mm-hmm. There, and nobody has yet, uh, to my knowledge, been able to refute anything in there. So it's apartheid by a group of people who, you know, say they have a Jewish state. Just the fact that they call it a Jewish state is um, discriminatory because 20% of the population of Israel is Mm -hmm. non-Jewish. So to say we are a Jewish state and they recently passed a law called the nation state law that says, I don't have the text in front of me, but it says basically the state of Israel is here to support Jewish life and we prioritize creating settlements for Jewish people to be comfortable and happy and for any Jew in the world to come. So what about the 20% of people that are not Jewish? They are right. not supported. Yeah. Right. Uh, now, is this from Netanyahu's uh, government? This, yes. this new? Yeah. Yes. Right. The, the more of a right, more of extreme right wing government that <clears throat> I Netanyahu mean, has formed? It was, this came out in uh, 2018. Oh, this came out in 2018. This okay. has been this around for a while. Oh, now, Netanyahu right. has been in power for a lot longer than that, but it was under That's his right. under his uh, direction. I think they've been trying to to pass something like that for a while. The, that law also um, throws out, uh, Arabic used to be one of the official languages of Israel. Now it's not. Oh, really? I didn't Just, know that either. Yeah. Oh, there's there's so much. Um, right. So yeah, the the Palestinians in Israel uh, are living as second class citizens at best, and they're the best off of the Palestinians. You've got right. uh, the people in living in Jerusalem. You've got mm-hmm. the West Bank, and you've got Gaza, mm-hmm. and then the diaspora. And the people in living inside Israel have it the best, but it's not great. Mm-hmm. So, um, so how does it work for, let's say, people in the West Bank? 
Well, so the checkpoint system is part of it. So anytime, I mean, the West Bank belongs to the Palestinians. It is the occupied West Bank. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Israel is monkeying around in there at all is inappropriate. And the fact that there are something like 600,000 Israeli settlers living in the West Bank right. on land that they took from the Palestinians, this is, uh, this is a violation of international law. So there's 600,000 Israelis living in towns and cities in the West Bank with Palestinians around them. And Israel is saying, okay, just to keep our settlers safe, we're going to give them a big swath of land around their cities so that the terrorists can't come and bother them. And so taking over more and more land, and the Palestinians have less and less land, the Israelis are often taking the, the best farmland um, or the top of the hills so they can you see everything that's going on. Uh, and a lot of these settlers in the West Bank are extremist radical settlers that mm -hmm. are now attacking Palestinians without, uh, without impu with impunity. Um, um, so, but to back to the uh, apartheid in the West Bank. Yeah, so Palestinians can't go from one town to another town without going through checkpoints where Israeli soldiers will often harass right. them. At the very yeah. least, they'll slow things down. So a 10-minute trip could take an hour. Right. Yeah, People can't get to work on time. They get fired. I mean, it's a mess. Isn't, isn't it true also that the uh, settlement communities are kind of blocked off? So if the shortest distance is to go like through the settlement community, they can't travel that way. There's no way. Yeah. They right. roundabout uh, yeah. Palestinian only roads. Does that sound apartheid? <laughs> okay. Um, right. And of course they've got a wall all around them um, that, you know, they, the Palestinians can call it a, the apartheid wall. The um, Israelis call it a, a security so wow. the wall is around around what around the around, community? Well, there's a wall basically around the entire West Bank. Okay, all right. Um, but it, uh, whenever there's an Israeli settlement, the wall skips around. I'm doing all these things with my hands, and you're not even oh, seeing. Right. But right. Um, so the the wall has cut off. I don't know thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of Palestinian land. And the Palestinians living inside the wall can't get outside the wall to take care of their crops. They have to get a permit. And the Israelis is like, we're going to give you a permit to come twice a year what? to your farmland. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, That's wild. And, and on and on it goes. Yeah, I see. So there's a lot of apartheid uh separate segregation um not full rights uh limited mm -hmm. travel military checkpoints mm -hmm. uh all these things and the that land uh was taken by israel in 1967 correct right. and then it was originally part of palestinian land and they've never given it back they've just right. taken it right right they think and, they have the right to all of it right right so um uh one of the um, uh, this is, you know, this is very, very fascinating information. Um, one of the things uh, is I want to 
touch on, get your opinion on is um, a lot of times people have these sayings. They're kind of like, you know, sayings that just go out there and people say, oh, yeah, that's true. Right, 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 mm-hmm. right. Like, you know, Hamas, like one of them is Hamas is a terrorist organization and they are the problem. Another one would be Palestinians know nothing but fighting and killing. And another one that I've just heard several times uh, in in my engagements with people talking about this is Palestinians refuse to kick Hamas out of of Gaza. So, I mean, what what's behind these sayings and, and, and what's the Palestinian perspective on this? Um, yeah, so let's see. The first one, Hamas is a terrorist organization. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, we love to think that we're right in our opinions, right? And so if we think Hamas is a terrorist organization, that's got to be true. And, uh, and this is one of the hardest ones to fight against because of the massacre on uh, October 7th. If we were right. having this conversation three weeks ago, mm-hmm. I it would be easier to uh, to refute a, a claim like Hamas is a terrorist organization because right. they have have not been um, doing anything really horrific for a long time. Um, and I don't know if my wording is correct on this, and somebody is gonna get after me about it. But so what what happened on October seventh? was definitely an act of terrorism. Mm -hmm. No doubt about that. But we need to understand some other things as well. We need a little nuance here. And the first thing that I want to point out is that occupation, long-term occupation like Israel has going on, is um, forbidden under international law. So the Mm -hmm. West Bank is occupied the Gaza Strip, Israel will say, no, it's not occupied. We left in 2005. But <laughs> it's a blockade. <laughs> yeah. The, pretty much the whole world, I think, including the United States, considers Gaza to be occupied territory. So right. Israel is breaking international law by having this occupation go on and on forever. Second, resistance against occupation is a guaranteed right under international law. Resistance Mm -hmm. against occupation is a right, even armed resistance. So the fact that Gaza has a resistance organization fighting against the occupation makes Hamas basically a legitimate organization. Now, the fact that um, some terrorist attacks have been committed by Hamas, that's, that's definitely a problem tell me a a state that has not committed horrific acts. Tell me Israel has never committed a horrific act. I I mean, what we're looking at is the guys who are in Hamas, maybe 20 years old, some of them, they've been through four wars. They've, They've lived through four wars in which one of the most powerful militaries in the world just pulverized them with warplanes while the people of Gaza, Hamas, and the other uh, resistance organizations had virtually no um, weapons. All they had was rockets. And in those days, they made the rockets by themselves. They took down 
uh, light poles from the street and stuffed them with fertilizer and, and started them on fire. Uh, they, I mean, this, is, this was the extent of weaponry for, for the Palestinians in Gaza. Um, so Israel was bombing the daylights out of them because, and this is what Israel said for each, each time they started uh, one of these wars, uh, we are going to make Hamas stop firing rockets. They killed thousands of Palestinians doing that. <laughs> the rockets have killed, other than the current um, situation, the rockets right. have killed something like 40 Israelis. Mm -hmm. 40. And they've been shooting rockets for over 20 years. Because they're, yeah, they're rudimentary. They're not <laughs> high that's, tech. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all they have. Right. And that's all the damage is. So now 40, 40 dead Israelis is 40 dead Israelis too much. I will say that every time. But I rarely hear um, a supporter of Israel saying, oh, and the 4,000 Palestinians is 4,000 too much. Right. They will yeah. basically usually say, no, that's what they had coming to them. So is Hamas a terrorist organization? They've committed terrorist acts. They are a resistance organization. They have a right to be there as a resistance organization. I, I condemn acts of terrorism. Right. Um, but like I, I was starting to say, so these, these young men have lived through these horrific wars, these horrific attacks from Israel. Uh, they've been, you know, the Gaza Strip has been under blockade for 16 years. Um, so these young men have been starving without enough food. They haven't had medical supplies. Um, Israel holds back, uh, blocks the entrance of things like blankets, heaters, um, baby food, diapers, you know, they, they withhold. And they control the goods that are coming in. To they control everything Gaza. that's coming in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, people uh, in, in Israel or wherever will grow. Um, now let's, let me switch it around. People in Gaza are growing strawberries. Let's say they right. harvest their strawberries, put them on a truck to send them out to sell so they yeah. can make some money. Right. And Israel will not um, allow that truck to go through until after the strawberries are all. Um, so they rotten. can't sell their, they can't export their goods. They can't export or import. And so, or import. So yeah, there's no way of building a, 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 a healthy economy. There isn't. <laughs> and um, like the, uh, the employment rate is something like 45% unemployment. Yeah. So you know, nobody. Nobody right. can get a job. You have right. no hope of getting anything. Uh, a huge percentage of the people in Gaza are food insecure, and they are getting um, they're getting uh, free food from UNRWA, mm -hmm. including our family. They get certain number of kilos of flour and oil once a month, and that's what they live on. Now Israel has recently bombed those warehouses where UNRWA keeps the food to hand out. So what are they going to eat? They also bombed the, the bakeries in every town. So there's no way to get bread. Uh, the right, water is right. gone. Yeah. Right. You know, so I, what about, um, um, 
separating the Palestinians from Hamas. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes they're kind of grouped together and yeah. <laughs> and there, there's a claim that, you know, well, they don't kick out Hamas. They must be aligned with Hamas, you know. Yeah, I, I yeah. So, okay, so Hamas was, was democratically elected in 2007 and they have right. refused to allow elections. Another, another election, then. okay. So, right. Yeah, so they're, they're rotten... Um, corrupt government, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. The West Bank also is having trouble getting rid of their leadership, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't get rid of Hamas just like that. You can't vote them out of power. Um, they mm-hmm. have a lot of control. They, uh, I think they they have infiltrators or people that know secrets about different people in Gaza. And if you speak against them or try to organize against Hamas, you can, you know, disappear one it's day. It's very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't. It's, yeah. Yeah. It, so it's not, it's not possible to get right. rid of Hamas. The people, um, the people in Gaza, I don't know what percentage of them support Hamas, but they, voted for resistance. They voted in a resistance government. And the people that I've talked to from Gaza have said, look, we don't want to die from Israeli airstrikes, but if we don't die from Israeli airstrikes, we're going to die from starvation. Something is going to kill us. So why don't we get on with it? And um, let's see if we can make things better for the next generation, if there is one. Well, you make a really good point about how people become extremists in, in, in Gaza. Um, you know, I, I, I recently saw the documentary called born in Gaza. Have you, have you seen that? No, I haven't. It's really powerful. It was made right after the 2014 conflict or war. Mm -hmm. And it, it tracks 10, uh, Gazan children. They're about, I don't know, like early teens or, or 10 or eight, nine years old, eight years old uh-huh. to, to th- 14 or 15. And they are just like traumatized. They're just completely traumatized yeah. and they go through and they, they share what they experienced and they, you know, what, what it was like. And then they're, you know, they're, and then they get their parents making some comments too. And mm-hmm. you're struck and you're like, Oh my gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> how, how can they li- You know, how can anyone live in this situation? And that's the kind of situation that births this extreme group we call Hamas, um, certainly a terrorist organization, but where are they coming from, right? They didn't just wake up one day and decide, I think I'll join a terrorist organization. It's like they've been suffering under this for years and years, traumatized and losing hope Mm -hmm. because of all the things that they've tried and, they haven't worked. And that's mm-hmm. the next question I want to ask you is most people don't realize that um, there have been nonviolent protests yeah. uh, that the Palestinians have done. Like, for example, the March of Return in 2018. Um, you know, what can you tell us about th- those uh, nonviolent um, yeah. attempts to solve the problem? Yeah. So, In 2018, starting in March, um, the people of Gaza, this was a grassroots idea. Uh, The people of Gaza started to have a peaceful protest every Friday 
at the border with Israel. Um, they And this was a family affair. People came and put up tents and put a sign outside the tent. We are from Ibdis. We are from this village. And mm-hmm. it was like a family reunion. And people would dance and there were popcorn sellers. And there was also uh, a number of people that went close to the border, some of them with stones, some of them with Molotov cocktails and things like that. And um, on the other side were snipers. And all they did all day, every Friday. Israel soldiers? Israeli soldiers, snipers. Okay, all right. This is something, I mean, Israel knew this this, um, protest was coming. And so they announced in advance, we're going to have 100 snipers and let's see what happens here. So um, Palestinians didn't go to the border to try to jump over and uh, kill Israeli soldiers. There was there was no danger to mm-hmm. any Israeli soldier, um, but they were shooting people right and left. They, oh they, they killed over 200 people in uh, it was about a 20 month 20 months of marching until the um, coronavirus. Um, They killed over 200 people. A lot of them were just standing there. A lot of them were um, medics. Some of them were journalists. Some of them were babies. Um, There are hundreds and hundreds of young Palestinian men now with one leg because they were shot in the kneecap. Oh, my gosh. Or in the feet. Um, I mean, this was done on purpose. And the... uh, Netanyahu was like, good job, guys. Keep up the good work. Um, So they killed 200 people that were peacefully protesting. Um, Elsewhere in in the West Bank, there are a number of towns that have been doing the same thing for many years, some of them for 10 years or more, having a protest every Friday or once a month on a Friday. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. um, they'll have these protests every week. They'll wave the flag. It's on Palestinian property, mm-hmm. so it's perfectly legal, but the Israelis know that that's coming every week. They send soldiers, and the soldiers will very often uh, kill somebody or shoot rubber bullets or throw tear gas at the protesters. And yet they keep protesting peacefully, they're hoping that somebody in the West will notice and ask what's going on over there. Why, why is there that protest? And all that happens. So, is that they so why doesn't it get uh, picked up by media? Well, uh, one of, I mean, there's a lot of answers to that question, but um, one of them is that uh, the pro-Israel um, contingent in America makes sure that Americans don't hear it. about these things. Yeah, yeah, right. They're very po- po- powerful lobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I gotcha. Um, yeah, well, and there are stories of uh, like the BBC once put out an article, and oh, Israel didn't like that headline because it kind of mm-hmm. didn't feel good. You know, yeah, the, the wording. Right. So they pressured and pressured the BBC to change that headline, and they did. So, I mean, a lot of journalists will just um, not even write about it because they know it's going to get 
tossed in the dump. Yeah, well, I, actually, Chris Hedges says that. They said, that, hey, we knew this happened, and then, but we were told, don't write it. Right. Write, write this instead. Yeah. <laughs> if you want yeah. to keep your job. And it was like, what? <laughs> What's yeah, going yeah. on? Right. So, and he's um, not the only one who has said that. There's right. quite a few. Yeah. Right. So that kind of brings us. Right, did you have one more thought about that? Yeah. Um, just another thing that the Palestinians have been trying to do. Um, in addition to the peaceful protests, is they've gone to the International Criminal Court. They've gone yes, to the International right. Court of Justice. Mm -hmm. um, the U.S. has vetoed attempts to, uh, to have sanctions against Israel in the United Nations. Um, so they've tried just about every recourse. If anybody has a suggestion for them, for something else peaceful they can do, I'm sure they'd be interested, but they know now that nobody's going to listen to anything quiet. They have to make a lot of noise. Now everybody's yeah. looking over there. Right, right. The, the thing I was going to uh, bring up was that what we're talking about is making sure um, people hear what's really going on and that we make sure that we don't uh, succumb to misinformation. Um, mm. You know, you, you wrote once that uh, everyone is entitled to their opinion but that freedom brings with it an implicit responsibility to actually know what you're talking about. And so you, it's important to get your facts, you know, from the source uh, and not just believe everything, right. You know, mm -hmm. knee jerk reaction. Well, Israel said that it must be true. Right. right. Um, or someone else said it that's supporting Israel. It must be true. Uh, so, you know, what are some of these maybe, there's a lot of them probably, but what are some of these fallacies that, that are, that are put out there um, that you think really the major ones that need to be uh, debunked? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the first couple of days after October 7th, um, somebody said, I saw beheaded babies. Oh, right. Okay. And that is not true. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Israel jumped on that little rumor and even president biden picked it up and he said we don't we don't support anybody that beheads babies well that never happened but israel has this great way of picking up on something or creating a rumor and getting it out there and then the damage is done and by the time you refute it it's too late right. it's so right that's happened before babies right is one um yeah. the rape Accusation against Hamas members. I have not seen anybody. Uh, yeah, rape, any rape by Hamas members, right? Right. By Hamas. Yeah. Did I say of yeah. Hamas? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, there, I haven't seen any proof of that. Maybe it happened, but I haven't seen any proof yet. So I would mm -hmm. be interested to see proof. Right. Um, yeah. Well, once one, one journalist said extraordinary um, claims demand extraordinary evidence <laughs> you can't just yeah. say have some one guy say oh i saw this and that's it yeah and then, and then you find out that one guy is a uh you know a highly biased uh yeah. source right yep. yeah so um what are some of the other things just you know either happening in the last two weeks or yeah. that have been going on so this is this is one of the big um slogans i guess hamas equals isis yes right <sighs> Hamas doesn't equal ISIS. In fact, there was a, a contingent of ISIS in Gaza for a while, and Hamas flushed them out. 
as fast as they could. There is no, I, I, you know, I don't know about the ideology of ISIS, but I know that Hamas hated it and got rid of it as fast okay. as they could. So um, Hamas equals Nazis. That, that's oh, just right. um, ridiculous. Hamas equals savages. This is the uh, dehumanization of people. If they're savages, then we don't have to treat them like human beings and... You know things yeah, like that. Right. Uh, one of the ongoing, um, one of the ongoing sort of uh, fallacies is, and this is in all the Western newspapers, Israel and Palestinians have clashes. Israel is and Pal or Israel and Hamas have a clash. Mm -hmm. You can't have a clash with anybody that doesn't have any weapons. So, um, it, you know, Israel will uh, attack the Janine refugee camp in the West Bank and mm -hmm. kill eight people. Mm -hmm. And um, nobody gets a scratch on them from the Israeli side. And they say that was a clash. It, it's sitting ducks versus one of the most powerful right. militaries in the world. Right. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. We, you kind of, yeah, you kind of get the, the view that, oh, well, uh, there must've been some violent, uh, provocation and there must have been yeah right yeah. right and that's always what the line is yeah yep. and that's, that's, not that's not necessarily true right yeah yeah no it's not i mean what's going on in janine refugee camp and some of these other places where there have been a lot of israeli raids is they're building a resistance because the people mm -hmm. in the west bank are just as sick of israel as the people in gaza and they have just as much right to resist their occupier as mm -hmm. the people in gaza do so here's here's just one more fallacy. Um, the Hamas has been raining down rockets on us. And what would you do if somebody was shooting rockets at you? You would have to fight back. Right. So like I said earlier, the rockets have been going on for 21 years and about 40 Israelis have been killed by them. So raining down rockets is really... A, deceptive let's mm -hmm. say that yeah it's, right i see it's calling yeah. it what it's right. not so you, what you're saying is there's really a disproportionate uh uh response by israel to these things right. right some of them are actually innocent and they respond violently some some of them are violent but there's a disproportionate reciprocal violence is that correct right absolutely and israel yeah. will admit that too we right. we want to be disproportionate we want right. to make them never forget. So it's it's not even eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It's eye for a hundred eyes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So one other thing I, I wanted to get in before, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. We can go past okay. the hour, I think, sure. if we want. But um, uh, the, the question of, um, what was it? Um, oh, I had read somewhere that Hamas actually provide social services to Palestinians. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Hamas has several branches. I mean, just like uh, the U.S. government has a, a branch that provides food stamps and a right. branch that provides a post office and things right. like that. So Hamas actually started out as a social services organization, um, providing food. Started off, food. really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've read the history of the Black Panthers in the U.S., mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds a lot like that. Oh, right. Okay. They were providing for people who nobody else was providing for. And, you know, things got out of hand. I, mm -hmm. 
that's probably an understatement. But anyways, yes, they have yeah. social services. They have, they're, and they're uh, still doing that. Uh, as far as I know, yeah, I think yeah. Uh, the United Nations does most of it, but I think mm -hmm. Hamas does some. They also have a legislative branch. They have mm -hmm. to, and and all the other things as well. So it's not just a terrorist organization right so it's, it's yeah it is a government right with and brand. so yeah but so. they all have the name hamas on them i guess and right. so when israel says uh we struck five thousand hamas targets probably some of them were uh postal workers or you know uh, soup kitchen workers or something uh right. there just aren't that many right. um, hamas targets right Another thing that has come up is um, I've heard that Israel, Israeli soldiers will sometimes abduct Palestinians. And, you know, what's going on there? Yeah, hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, I did an article last week. I think um, I can't remember how many hundreds and hundreds. But, yeah, they'll go into people's houses in the middle of the night in the West Bank, where they don't belong, they'll break into the house or they'll dynamite the front door and go running in with 20. And you can find you can find uh, YouTube what, videos. What is their what is their reason for doing this? The, the stated reason is to terrify people. They'll come in and they'll say, all right, all the women in that room, all the men in that room, the children in that room, shut up. Don't make any noise. It's unbelievable, right? And they'll ransack the house. If they find money, they might take it. Um, they, they might say, you threw stones to a 10-year-old kid. You threw stones yesterday, didn't you? No, I didn't. Well, they drag him off and they take him down to the station. Or they'll the take young men, no particular reason necessarily, um, but they'll have accusations. And... Um, and try them in military court, or they'll let them go, or they'll put them in administrative detention, which is basically against international law. They've got thousands of people right. in, in uh, it, administrative is it always, detention. Is it always a military court? If an Israeli uh, soldier or policeman um, arrests somebody, then it's an Isra it's a, a military court. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. <clears throat> and it doesn't uh, seem like they have rights. Uh, certainly, they, they're not ha, don't have right to counsel or, <laughs> I, you know, well, I, I'm just like all these questions come up. Like, <laughs> if that happened, don't they have a right to defend themselves? They, they on paper they do according to the rules. Okay, uh, minors have to have a parent or guardian with them when they're being right. interrogated. It never happens. Right. Minors um, have to ha have have uh, video filming of their interrogation. It never happens. Why? Because they are tortured and there is documentation of all of this. Right. Um, so yeah, there, uh, before this business started with Hamas, um, there were about 6,000 Palestinians in prison as political prisoners, maybe 5,000. And it's doubled. It has doubled. In oh, two just weeks. in the last two weeks you're saying? In two weeks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Prison wow. conditions are horrific. Um, They've got children in prison. You know, it, if you are accused of throwing a stone, you can get put in prison for 20 years. Oh, my gosh. This is all documented. Uh, you know, Palestine advocates, all, uh, 
I want to say we don't make things up because we will, um, we're fighting a difficult battle and Israel partisans have a lot of money and they're very well organized. So if we get something wrong, if we state a fact wrong, they will take us down in no time. So, so we don't make stuff up. You can find online from, um, from reliable sources, everything that I'm saying. Okay. Today. Um, you mentioned the way that, uh, Palestinians are dehumanized. And that's really, I, I just wrote a book, Breaking Bad Faith, and mm. exposes violence in theology and society and how uh, the uh, tendency of, of human nature is to de dehumanize your enemy. That way it's easier to fight them. Because right. <laughs> yep. if you humanize them, you feel guilty. But if you dehumanize them, you don't feel guilty. It's fine, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, this happens both both sides i can see it you know hamas dehumanized the citizens that they killed and and, and held hostage but what you're describing is israel dehumanizing the palestinians oh they don't have any rights all of a sudden oh because they are terrorists because they mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. um, so what how have you seen that happened in in, in israel oh man i mean that's a never-ending list um so we talked about checkpoints a lot of checkpoints, you can see this online, a lot of checkpoints resemble uh, sort of a cross between a prison and a cattle chute where Palestinians are, in order to get through this checkpoint, they have to go through these, these winding turnstiles that have bars next to them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is the only, you know, you can't control uh, a bunch of wild animals um, right. So we better put uh, bars around them. And they, and they are literally called animals off. I mean, they are. Yeah. I've heard statements from the government recently saying that. Yeah. 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 That's a big one so that you can sleep at night after you kill them all. Um, even simple things like stereotyping, calling all Palestinians Islamic terrorists or calling mm -hmm. all um, Gazans terrorists. Mm -hmm. it's, it's set up this dichotomy where we're good. They're bad. And that's the end and, of the story. And, yeah. I, and, and, and then there's rationalizations. You mean, you push back a little bit and uh, well, if they were good people, the Gazans would have kicked out of Hamas. So that, mm -hmm. you know, that that's just a way of dehumanizing them. Oh, uh, right. They, it's their fault. Yeah. Hamas yeah. Is around, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's shirking responsibility. It seems. Oh yeah. Because then you'd have to admit your guilt and we don't do that. Right. Um, uh, you know, putting children away for 20 years for throwing a stone is dehumanizing. <laughs> um, there's a there's a young man in uh, Israeli prison right now that we've been giving him a lot of uh, publicity because um, when he was, I want to say, 11 or 12 years old, he was with his cousin and his cousin uh, attacked somebody. The cousin mm -hmm. was shot and killed and the uh, this guy was left behind. He didn't do anything. He has mental illness and he's still in prison. He's in his twenties now. They won't. He give... was just with the guy. He wasn't, yeah, he didn't yeah. actually do anything. That's what he says. That's oh what his family God. says. That's what eyewitnesses right. say. But right. they, so he's, they keep him in solitary confinement. What? They won't give him his medications for years you look at this kid when he comes when he comes out to the military court for hearings 
and he he's dead inside. He's oh. just sits in in solitary confinement for like 10 years or something. His name is, I think it's Ahmed Mansura, something like that. And it's just one of many horrific um, examples of what they do to kids. Uh, just even the fact of assuming that uh, Palestinians have no other interest in life except to wipe out Jews. This is, this is dehumanizing. Just as, like, you don't have any aspirations. You don't want to grow up and. Oh, yeah. They want to wipe them off the face of the map. That's yeah, all right. you want is to right. wipe Jews off the face yeah. of the earth. It's, that's right. not. Yeah. And assuming you can bomb them into submission is just a horrendous. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That's what I call the myth of redemptive violence that violence is, is the only real way of, of changing the world and making bringing justice and that's what and peace. you know israel is is bought into i mean hamas brought buys in it to it as well when they respond violently but it's it's like it's the violence is the solution and and so there's just cycles of violence over and over again when both sides believe that mm -hmm. but in this case it's just a disproportionate violence what you're saying, Israel, yeah. much more than than uh, the Palestinians. Right. Yeah. I mean, the Palestinians are pretty much powerless. Right. Yeah. They, they have there's almost nothing they can do. Um, they're not allowed to have weapons. They're not allowed to have an army. Um, they have no money, you know. Yeah. The economy there's is just very little they terrible. can do. Yeah. Right. Even if they that makes sense. To. So. So. Um, uh Another thing we mentioned was Christian Zionism, and both of us coming from evangelicalism know uh, there's there's this this uh, we're teaching going that's been going around for decades since 1948 probably that oh Israel is um, has fulfilled prophecy by the foundation of the nation of Israel it's a sign of the end times Jesus is coming back uh, mm -hmm. and so we have to support what's going on because it's all part of fulfilled biblical prophecy. I mean, what, what more can you say about that Christian Zionism and how it impacts the situation? So, yeah, for one thing, the certainty that Christian Zionists have is um, the certainty arrogance that they're operating under is just appalling to me. I I've had somebody um, write to me and say, Kathy, you know, I like you as a person, but you really need to go and read Genesis 12, verse 3. Yeah, like, oh, I'm going to have this revelation. Oh, right, right. right, right. Um, as if you've never read it before and you were yeah. in the evangelical movement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah so the certainty and, and you know, watching, um, watching, um, what's his name? The guy in, uh, Christians United for Israel, um, mm -hmm. Hagee, John Hagee. Oh, John Hagee. Oh, yeah. They're oh, like, like, like this is theology that was clearly laid out in scripture. It's obvious. It's not an interpretation. It's not an opinion. It is fact. And you can't talk to people who have their facts already figured out. So right. Christian Zionists right. are very difficult um, to deal with. And um, just the fact, just the fact that they hang their entire ideology 
on Genesis 12, verse 3. They ignore when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They ignore Love when your, your enemy is hungry, give him food. Love they ignore enemies. everything right. except Genesis right. 12, 3. It's unbelievable. It's, it is. Uh, yeah. I have it, no words for them. I know. I understand. Uh, and I mean, that, I think, you know, I've, I've deconstructed that quite a bit. And a lot of people have that this end time stuff that it, Jesus really, really wasn't talking about something 2000 years in the future and all this stuff going on that he was talking about something in the first century. Mm. But this, this part of it, it just makes this whole conflict also worse because people are convinced that whatever Israel does must be right. They can't, it's like, you mm -hmm. can't, you know, why, why can't they get it? Why can't you have, a very simple dictum that almost every democracy has just because I criticize the president of the United States on his policies, just because I criticize Netanyahu's Yahoo. policies uh -huh. doesn't mean I'm anti-American or anti-Israel or I'm anti-Semite. It just means mm. we're against those policies. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like black and white. You've got to be all in or you're, you're, I don't know. You're a terrible person. And, yeah. And even our Congress is caught up in this. I heard Lindsey Graham say just a few days ago, this is a religious war and I want to be on the right side. Oh, I'm on Israel's side. Yeah. This is a congressman. This is, this is uh, and there's lots of them saying no. these kinds of things. No. Yeah. It's crazy. It's these crazy. people are programmed to say that. They're just, they're not even thinking things through. So, well, we've, we've got, uh, done a lot of have some great questions answered by you and really appreciate you coming on. But I have one more question to mm -hmm. wrap things up. And, uh, you know, you you still consider yourself a Christian or follower of Jesus. So what do you think is the uh, a more authentic Christian or faith based response to the Israel Hamas war? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think as Christians or as just human beings with compassion, we need to recognize, first of all, that Palestinians, Gazans, even Hamas are fellow human beings. They're mm -hmm. not lesser human beings. They're just like us, except they have been through horrific years of their lives. They are just like us, and they want the same things that we want. They just don't think they're going to get them and I speak specifically about Hamas at this point, not Palestinians and Gazans necessarily. They want the same things we want. They just can't seem to get them through peaceful means. And that's, right. that's partly on America. We, we helped create this monster, in, right. in my opinion. I, I, yeah. um, um, so we need to recognize that they're human beings. We need to recognize... Um, we need to recognize that just because of being human beings, they have certain rights and mm -hmm. it's not sort of a, yeah, they have a right to um, a happy life, except that they, uh, you know, uh, elected Hamas 15 years ago or whatever. They have a right to be free, except that they screwed that right up by, um, you know, killing yeah. people. So I have, some yes and no questions that I, I would love for every Christian to an, ask themselves. These are not questions that can be um, 
that you can play with. It's a yes or it's a no. Do Palestinians have the right to be free of Israeli occupation? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. Do Palestinians have the right to self-determination? Mm -hmm. Do Palestinians have the right to live a dignified life? If the answer to that question is yes, then we need to support that those rights. We need to be involved in whatever way we can in um, stopping the uh, stopping the carnage that's happening right now as we speak. We need to uh, we need to be working to bring justice. We need to work to bring like um, sanity to this issue to understand and help other people understand what's really going on here so we can bring a sane uh, perspective because there's so much insanity around this. And if we, can, if we can help bring that sanity and bring understanding of what the real situation is, then we can hope to bring peace. There's, right. there's no, I, I don't think there's any other way, but before peace, justice obviously. Right. right. Palestinians will not take peace without justice and they shouldn't. Yeah. So no, those are all good points. Um, I think one of the key things is stop dehumanizing Palestinians and even Hamas, because like you said, if you, all you got to do is go back into our own history and you say that, yeah. you know, we're not uh, pure as the driven snow as a country and what we've done in war, et cetera, and conflict. So, um, uh, there and then the Christian response I would add would be, uh, you know, one of the foundations of of Jesus' teachings is love your enemy and forgive people who uh, act unjustly towards you. But you know that that has to be done by both sides in order for it to work. But it has to start somewhere, and especially those who call themselves followers of Jesus, they should be leading the way in this. Yes, and that's the that's really what irks me the most, that with people who claim to follow Christ and they don't love their Palestinian enemy and yeah. they don't take the time to learn what the suffering that they've gone through and all this background information that we're talking about. They just believe uh, what Israel says or what the narrative is supposed to tells them to say in their churches and they don't look beyond that. That to mm -hmm. me is just irresponsible. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I have a couple of things I want to say about just prayer, because I have a lot of people saying, oh, I'll pray for your family or your husband's family in Gaza. And to me, that's great. But what is there a certain number of prayers that God is going to? OK, so uh, so Kathy and Ziad's family have 216 prayer requests. So I'm going to. I'm going to protect their house or what? Right. I, I mean, how does prayer work? Yeah, no, it's, when, it's the view, right. Yeah, we, we and uh, there's nothing wrong with prayer, but then you get up off of your knees and you go do something. Uh, Frederick Douglass said, I prayed for 20 years to be freed from slavery, but I got no answer till I prayed with my legs. And yes, he right. ran That's away. Right, so, you have to pray with your actions. I mean, yeah. You know, this whole this, yeah. It's well, that's another topic, but it's what what I call the transactional God. Oh, I'll start praying mm -hmm. and then exactly. you know, your house will be protected. But 
other houses won't be protected because God mm -hmm. only answers, you know, certain prayers or, or doesn't answer, doesn't even do anything unless someone prays, you know, and that then, kind of attitude. And then, yeah. And then let's, if, if one house is spared by prayer, but the rest of that country is completely destroyed. Right. What yeah. have we really accomplished? What, with what have we accomplished? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, Kathy, this has been great. We ran out of time, but I want to encourage people to check out your blog. Um, it's uh, is it? It's patheos.com, right? I think <laughs> I have a blog there too, so I should know, but <laughs> patheos.com and then just search grace colored glasses, correct? It's in the, it's in the progressive Christian tab, right? um, grace colored glasses. And I can put a link if, I don't know if you put it in. Yeah, the show we'll, notes you, uh, we'll provide a link in the show okay. notes. We'll do that. And then she's she's got great uh, articles about this and really, uh, makes the case for um, uh, stopping the bombing and stopping the plans for a ground war in this conflict and, and really starting to do a more serious uh, negotiated peace. Very, very, very unpopular position these days, but I make the same case. I just, I just wrote a blog in the spiritual brew pub, which is at patheos.com. I'll put that in the show notes too. We both make that same case and uh, we want you to read those and, um, really be open-minded about looking at this with a new, with a different paradigm. So any last words that you want to say, Kathy, before we sign off? Yeah. I mean, I would just suggest one thing to your viewers or listeners. Um, if this was educational, if this was informative to you to listen to this podcast, I would say have a little party at your house, pop some popcorn and show this video to a bunch of friends. Right. I mean, we can't just we can't just do this in onesies and twosies. We have to. We, yeah. We get others. Yeah. Get others to see and hear and get educated about this. Yeah. And Good then point. get out, do a rally. Most important is probably to call your congress members and tell them oh, to right. stop the massacre in Gaza. Right. Call call your congressman or woman woman. Yeah. That's. Excellent advice. Uh, yeah. Um, well, we're trying to get the word out. So thanks again, Kathy. And Thank folks, uh, we're signing off here at the Spiritual Brew Pub. Until the next episode, we'll see you then.